Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Something Businessy podcast. It's Franny here. And before we dive into today's episode, I have a question for you. When you go to write content for your brand, do you have a clear brand voice that you know exactly how to speak from? Or are you writing in a way that sounds professional, maybe a little chat GPT-ish, or just like a lawyer or somebody boring wrote it? Sorry, lawyers, I'm not saying you're boring, but you know, the writing. We want to have a little more fun with our content. We want to insert that personality, that brand voice into every single piece of content, every email, every Instagram post, every podcast, all of the things that we do. So we made you a super fun brand persona quiz that will help get you started. And just by taking the quiz, you're going to learn something about yourself and your brand voice that maybe you didn't realize before. Then you're instantly going to get all kinds of awesome insights with a downloadable PDF guide that is custom to your results. Now, this quiz has been a huge hit for us for the past couple of years, but we just gave it a total makeover. So even if you've already taken it before, you're going to enjoy giving it another whirl. So pop on over to ampersand-studios.com slash quiz and click start. All right, let's dive back into our topic for today. I'm looking at it like a scientist. I'll be able to nail down the perfect environment, the perfect order, the perfect set of actions that's going to guarantee my best results every single time. And then I can mix it up. Welcome to the Something Businessy Podcast. I'm Franny. And I'm Nicole. And we are stoked to be your brand coaches and business besties. We started Ampersand Studios in 2009, and we've learned a few things. Over the years, we've made lots of mistakes, but celebrated a few big wins too. We build brands by helping small business owners unapologetically settle into their voice and visuals so that they can create meaningful content that attracts the type of client and work that lights them up. We designed this podcast to be your place to come every single week to get an honest and candid dose of inspiration, step-by-step actionable workshops, crazy stories, random thoughts, and our take-it-or-leave-it approach to business. So get in. We never know where this is going to go, but we promise to at least talk about something businessy. Welcome back to the Something Businessy podcast. It's me, Franny. I'm your host today, and I'm going to do kind of just like in true Franny fashion, as I do, I'm going to break down something. I'm going to tell you a story. And I'm going to break down something that happened to me in my regular everyday life and how it relates to business. And hopefully I'm going to leave you with the same paradigm shift that it left me with and something that you can take with you in your everyday life and into your business that I know has made a big difference in my mindset and goal setting practices and just the way that I operate in pretty much everything I do now. What I'm talking about is whenever we as business owners Like when we set a goal for something brand new, like totally brand new idea (laughs) comes out of thin air, right? Have you ever done that? No, of course you have. If you're an entrepreneur, which I'm guessing you are if you're listening to this podcast, there's literally nothing that we love more than new ideas. Like, do you ever want to just throw out everything that you're working on right now and start something brand new from scratch? It's the curse of being entrepreneurial I will get so stoked about starting something new. The finishing part is the hard part, but starting something new is the fun part. So anyway, that's why I personally have all kinds of mechanisms and booby traps set up around me in my life that stop me from starting new things all the time. They stop me from literally jumping ship and changing course and losing focus on what it is that whatever other idea I already kicked off. And some of those booby traps and mechanisms are people. Like people who know me and who know that I've given them permission to call me out and say like, whoa, Fran, you're doing it again. Like, stop it. Cut it out. 
<laughs> but here's how it can kind of look when we do pursue the new things, actually, you know, execute on an idea and really put it out there into the world. A few different things can kind of happen. And it looks like this. So new idea, we probably kind of outline it all. We make a plan. For me, it includes a lot of sticky notes and lists, Pinterest boards and mood boards and all that stuff. Like we really see it coming to life. We envision it like totally taking off. And we envision it looking super sexy, super successful. And once we kick it off, it's either, you know, depending on how well it takes off in those first few moments or first few days or weeks, the level of excitement after the initial getting started phase and how excited we continue to be about the project is directly affected by the response that we get at the very beginning. We open the gates and like the horse comes running out. But if the horse trips and falls in the first couple of steps, we're like, eh, I'm not betting on that horse anymore, right? It really affects how excited we are to get up and keep going if we don't think we can catch up or if we just don't think it's going to work out like we thought. And truly our own excitement, our faith in how good of an idea this was at all has everything to do with how it's performing so far against whatever expectations we had going into it. And if we get that validation, if we're like, people are like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I love it. Like, it's going great. We're going to keep going. We're going to be super excited to keep it going. But if it's not, it can really, really kill our momentum and our excitement. So if we don't get that validation, we don't get some sort of quick win, we don't get that evidence that it's going to work, our motivation fizzles out before we ever have the chance to make the necessary tweaks to see it through. And it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And then we start making all kinds of changes. It's crazy. It's a crazy cycle. So I have two stories I want to share with you today. I actually had three, but then I was like, nobody needs to listen to me talk that long about this. Like, you're going to get it. You're going to get it really good. If you want more, you let me know. I'll tell you another story. I'm going to break down how to use this like mechanism for yourself and how to make sure that nothing ever doesn't make it to the finish line again. So story time. I want you to come back with me. Ooh, we're in a time. That's my time machine sound. It's like kind of like a scary ghost time machine. Okay. We're going back to 2009. It was like 14 years ago at the time of this recording. 14 years ago. Oh my gosh. I can't like, I can't even wrap my head around that. That's wild. Anyway, 2009, Nicole and I are gearing up to do our very first wedding show. We don't do weddings anymore, but we used to be wedding photographers, and this was our this was a big deal to get into the wedding show. We had a booth. We we just like knew this was it. This was our moment. You know these trade shows. You know where engaged couples walk around and they gather information from all the local vendors, and they have their everybody has their little booths lined up. You're like, oh, I didn't even know we needed like a dove release, but sure, I think we need that. And it's like, I went to it as a bride before I started my business, and I remember how excited I was to go and find my vendors, like pick out my wedding. And this is back before all the online inspiration. So the wedding shows really were the best way to find local vendors. It was a really, really big marketing and advertising opportunity for us to get in front of actual engaged people and acquire some new customers. So we took it very, very seriously is my point. Like we were all in on this thing. I can't even, it like, we don't even go this hard <laughs> on on things today, even though now we have the resources and the, well, I guess we do, but we were so extra. Like we went balls to the wall. We spent so much freaking money and time and energy getting this thing ready. 
we literally built walls. Like, we are not Bob the Builder. (laughs) Luckily, my husband is, and my dad helped a lot, and Nicole's husband helped a lot. But we framed walls and painted them, and, like, you know, it was a a big production. Um, We built three walls in a U-shape. We got, like, custom wallpaper ordered that had our logo designed. You know, like, it was an ampersand in the middle of, like, damask wallpaper I'm just really trying to set the scene here. This isn't really that important, but you get the point. Like we went all out. We had a little coffee table in the middle of the booth and then um, like a like a crystal chandelier hanging over the coffee table. And then all of our albums were laid out and our little swatches of what colored leathers you could pick out for your albums, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. At this point, we had only shot like three or four weddings. So this was going to be our actual first real wedding season. The show usually happens in the winter when people are getting engaged and they're planning their weddings. And then we would be going into the summer would be our first wedding season where we were doing this full time. We're like two days before the show. We've got all of the booth built. We're so excited. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know what we need? I was like, we need to make like folders. And she's like, yeah, we need contracts and we need like a what to expect, a checklist and all the stuff that they're like a welcome packet. That's what it was. A welcome packet. They hire us. We give them a welcome packet. Okay. We're so excited to be your photographers. Yay. Thanks for choosing us. Here's a copy of the contract. Here's like a a list of all the things you need to do next. (laughs) We're like, yeah, good idea. That'd be so cute. Um, So anyway, I remember going, how many of these do you think we should make? We should set a goal. Like how many weddings are we going to book? So we got to thinking, we're doing the math, and we're like, okay, they said there's going to be 2,000 couples at this wedding show. So I don't know, like 100? Do you think we could book 100? That'd be so cool if we could book 100 weddings. Great. So we printed off, we stapled them in the corners, we put little cute, you know, paper clips on them, 100 of them, like 100 100 folders and packets. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Dude, we were dead serious. 100 weddings. That was the goal. So to say that we were disappointed when we wheeled out our little tote boxes filled with all 100 folders, that would be the understatement of the century. We were so devastated. (laughs) We actually didn't book any weddings at the show. We booked a handful of appointments for consultations, but we didn't actually close anybody at the show. So we were totally crushed and we were like, oh, maybe people didn't like us like we thought they would or this was such a waste of money and such a waste of time. We've dreamed of all these thoughts that were rushing through our minds and we were like, ugh, totally defeated. And it could have been really easy for us at that moment to throw in the towel when we were feeling that way and thank goodness we didn't. I think the reason we stuck with it is because we started talking to the other vendors at the show and they were like, oh, yeah, no, no. We don't ever expect people to actually book here at the show. We're just getting the relationship started. There's a few things that we know now after having done many, many, many more wedding shows over the years. And first of all, it's true. Most people don't actually book their vendors at the show. They don't like sign the contracts and exchange funds and all of that. Sometimes you'll kind of pencil them in for a date. They'll give you verbal confirmation and follow up with you on Monday. (laughs) You go from there. And, And then after we established our brand and brides really knew they wanted to work with us, we did have a handful book with us at shows in later years. But it was really uncommon. So first of all, way unrealistic goal that we set. Second of all, even in our busiest wedding season that we ever did, when we were completely booked out, burnt out, worked to every last bone in our body was like dying, even on those busiest years, the most that we ever shot was about around 50 weddings between the two of us. So to think that we would book 100 weddings was just completely asinine. 
Now, over the years, we've had to remind ourselves of the 100 weddings story many times. Whenever we do a launch now, Nicole and I will be coming up with goals for like if it's a brand new product that we're launching or something like that. We always joke and we say, hey, let's book 100 weddings. And Nicole and I know what that means. And we're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) we actually don't have any idea what this is going to do because it's the first time. So now you're on the inside of that joke. If you hear us talk about the 100 weddings, you, you know what we're talking about. I've got one more story I want to tell you to follow up on this, and then it's all going to come full circle altogether. Now fast forward to just a few weeks ago. So I train at a boxing gym here in Boise. Shout out to Marine Boxing Academy. I want to have those guys on the podcast sometime, so hang tight for that. They have such a cool story and business model. Recently, they started doing a new program where they have these fitness check-ins. You have one hour to complete as much as you can. So they give you a little printed out piece of paper that has a list of all the tasks that you have to complete. And the first time I saw the list, I was like, you guys are freaking crazy. Like there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I can do all of this in one session to completion, no matter how much time you gave me. (laughs) Like like I would, I would die midway through. So here's what it is. It's first you do 10 minutes of jump roping. You do that all together. Then you set out to do in whatever order you want, 10 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, or 50 ab wheel rollouts, 50 wall ball squats with medicine balls, and then a one-mile run outside. Okay, here's the other caveat. You can't mix and match them. Like, you can't do sets of 20 push-ups and then go do something else and come back to doing more push-ups. You have to do all 200 push-ups in a row before you can move on to something else. You can choose whatever order you want to do everything in, but you can't break them up into smaller sections. Okay, those are the rules of the game. So here's the funny thing about this. When I first heard about the challenge, I thought, I wonder how far I'll get in an hour. Like, there's no way I'm finishing this, but I'm excited to see how far I can get. And then I overheard one of the guys talking. He's actually a trainer at the gym, and he mentioned that he completed the whole thing in 38 minutes. And I was actually, like, thrown off, like, whoa, I didn't even think that these guys would be able to do it that fast. So it kind of felt less impossible to hear that someone else did it. I was like, dang, okay. So I decided to keep an open mind and not give myself any expectations, not put any limits on it and not like, you know, hinder myself. But other than that, I would do my best and I would remember that this first time, all I was doing was setting a baseline for myself. That's it. I had absolutely no time goal, no comparing myself to other people in the gym, which is very hard for me because I'm extremely competitive, but just setting a baseline so that the next time I know what to work toward. And then next time I can set a goal based on what I did the first time and how much I want to improve. Okay. So I started with the group and we did the jump roping all together. Then you can go off and do everything else in whatever order you want. So I decided to knock out the push-ups first because that's what I was the most worried about. I decided to do as many as possible on my toes, write that down and then move to my knees. I knew I wouldn't be able to do all of them on my toes. So I knocked out like 30, like boom, 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 30 push-ups right out of the gates. I was feeling good. And it was like a sprint. It was like running off the finish line in a sprint. I was like, cool, 30 push-ups, moving nice and fast, pushing myself. And then I had to take a break, stretch, breathe, kind of shake my arms out, my shoulders. And then I suffered through 25 more conventional push-ups very slowly until fail. I couldn't do one more. So I wrote down 55 push-ups on my toes and I moved to my knees for the next like whatever, 145 push-ups. It felt like an eternity. I got to the point where I could only do two or three at a time. Like I'd be like one, two, three, and then I'd have to stretch and shake it out. And then I could do two or three more. It took me freaking forever to get to 200. And there's people next to me powering through and they're like superheroes. They're like, like 
done. You know, they did all 200 in one set. So that's just not me. I felt like I was really on the struggle bus. So same thing with the pull-ups. Like I still need a band. I can't do 10 pull-ups by myself, but I'm like, okay, it's okay. I'm just setting my baseline out of the group that I was with that day. I was nowhere near the fastest. In fact, I think I was in like coming in with the last two or three of us. Like I was in the back. So I finished it. I finished it in less than an hour. Um, I think my, I read around 50 minutes. I was super sore for the next three days, but I was so excited to have my baseline. Now I have something that I can work toward improving next time. And while I was suffering through those 200 push-ups that might as well have been 2000, I was really thinking about how this compares to life and how it compares to business. Okay. Now that I have this baseline, I know that if I want to improve my next time, like my, my time next time we do this, in the meantime, I need to be working on these things. I need to be doing push-ups. I need to be running outside more. I need to be, you know, working the muscles that help me to do pull-ups better. So if I practice all of that, of course I will improve. I can set realistic goals and then I can conquer those. And before they surprise us with this challenge, you know, like backing up to before they gave it to us, I wasn't focusing on those things. I wasn't focusing on being better at push-ups and pull-ups and running. Maybe I was focused on like more of the boxing stuff when I was at the gym. I was focused on my footwork, my power, my stamina in the ring, which is only like two or three minutes at a time, not 200 push-ups. So what happens when they throw something new at us? Like what if next time they were like, okay, now I want you to do 50 burpees. Well, I actually don't know how many burpees I'm capable of doing all at once now. I don't know. I've never done that before. So I don't have a baseline to compare that to. Luckily, I, for this example, I do know that next time we do the fit test, it is going to be exactly the same. It's going to be the exact same list of tasks that I did the first time. So what I'm going to do next time is reverse engineer the goal. The goal that I have set, let's say, let's say I want to get it done in 40 minutes um, next time. Like if I want to shave off 10 minutes, what would I have to do? What would have to be true? What would I have to do to improve enough, you know, speed up, get stronger at? in order to shave off 10 minutes. Now, right now, I'm not saying that's my goal. I'm just using that as an example. But here's where we're going wrong in our businesses. And here's where I've gone wrong so many times. We change up the variables of the actual thing. We throw in the burpees. When something doesn't work perfectly the first time, rather than doing the same thing, like the exact same thing, but just improving the mechanisms to make it better, we actually go in and change the deliverables or we change the format, or we change the package, the vehicle that it's delivered in. And then it doesn't work again and we get frustrated. But really, we don't realize that we're changing it up so much that actually now we need a new baseline measurement. We're resetting the clock each time. And if we keep doing that, we're never going to know what's really working and we cannot compare it to the time before because we changed it. So we don't know what we need to tweak. As I was like on push-up number 173, I had this aha moment about the baseline effect. We need to set a baseline for everything before we can assess it and before we can set a true goal and before we can put it into action and put a real plan for achieving the goal. Then, and only then, can we reverse engineer a successful result going forward. So we can only tweak one or two variables at a time, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like speaking to my future self right now. So next time, what if I do the push-ups last instead of first? Will that preserve more energy for me throughout the rest of the workout? I'm going to have to test that and see. Maybe I was so burnt out because I did the push-ups first. I don't know. I would just have to change that one thing and see, write it down, really like assess it. 
Or what if I alternate doing them on my knees for 20 push-ups and then on my toes for 20 push-ups? Could I get through the push-ups a lot faster if I didn't burn out by doing those first 55? I don't know. I'd have to try that. These are all things that I can do in my training at home too before I go into the next actual test. So if I can get faster at doing the 200 push-ups, how can I optimize this? Okay, so what if I do breathing exercises before? What if I try doing it on an empty stomach versus eating breakfast first? What if I try changing just one of those things and testing it? Because if I change all the variables, like if I change, if I do all of those things differently next time, I won't know which one to credit for it working or failing. I'm not going to be able to know what to blame it on. So change just one thing. I'm going to get really intentional about documenting it. I'm looking at it like a scientist. I'll be able to nail down the perfect environment, the perfect order, the perfect set of actions that's going to guarantee my best results every single time. And then I can throw in the burpees. Then I can mix it up. So if you're working on launching a new idea, whatever it is, I know you're like, of course, you're already thinking about launching something new. (laughs) So whatever that is, just remember to let go of whatever expectations you have on that first time. Just do your best, leave it all out there on the mats, and then document everything, every little step of the way. Get it out, measure the results, and then on your second time, you can set a real goal as long as you don't change the vehicle. Just change one thing at a time, get a true gauge on what's working. I've seen so many entrepreneurs and looking back, I can tell you so, so many times where we've been guilty of this and I'm sure we'll do it again, but you've got an awesome idea, awesome product or service. It's, it's designed, it's going to change people's lives, but you put it out there and maybe don't get the response that they were hoping for. So they completely change it or throw it out. And it really might just need a small tweak. Maybe it just needed a different name or a different brand message or a different marketing strategy. Maybe it just needed more time for people to find out about it. Okay, so don't kill the darlings yet just because you didn't book 100 weddings at your first show. (laughs) I would love to hear from you guys if this is resonating with you and if you have a story about a time where you set a goal without a baseline and it sort of like knocked you down. So just forever, remember the baseline effect. Number one, the first time you do your best, you keep track of every variable, how long it took you, what the response was, how much money it cost, how much money it made you, etc. And then the second time and the third time and the fourth time you do it, only change one thing at a time about how you execute, how you prepare, whatever it is. Start with your end goal in mind and see what you can tweak to get closer to that. Start really trying to break it apart like a scientist and then say what would need to be true for this to happen. And then start training, start working on improving that one thing. And then the last, very last, very, 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 very last, after you've optimized it as much as possible for peak performance, now you can change the vehicle, throw in the burpees, and remember that you need to now set a new baseline. You need to test it again, set a new baseline once you've changed something before you get discouraged and throw it out. Cool? All right, that's all I've got for you today. Go out there and crush whatever it is that you're working on and don't give up just because it didn't go as planned. Chances are that your initial goal was based on absolutely nothing concrete in the first place and that you probably pulled it out of thin air. We can't pull goals out of thin air. We need that baseline and then we can get to work. I hope this was motivating for you today. Thank you so much for being here with us and we will see you next week on the Something Businessy podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Something Businessy podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and mentions. And it would mean the world to us if you'd take a second to leave a review wherever you're listening today and share this episode with someone businessy. We'd love to hang out with you more. So please come say hi to us on Instagram at something businessy.